You are listening to the IMN podcast produced by the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion. We've asked members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to share how their lives have been blessed by living the gospel of Jesus Christ. To the Savior's request, come follow me, they have all responded, I am in. Dana Peterson is an entrepreneur, a licensed realtor, an amazing photographer, and has lived in the Treasure Valley for almost 20 years. She has a bachelor's degree in communications and a Spanish minor from the University of Idaho. She has been the chairman for the Distinguished Young Women's Program in CUNA for the last 12 years. Her amazing talents and volunteer service in this program has blessed so many lives. She is currently a primary teacher who loves her four-year-olds. Sister Peterson has served in various positions in the church and community, including Young Women's, Relief Society, Ward, and Stake Primary. Dana and her husband, Charlie, are the parents of four children. They live on a 10-acre hobby farm in Meridian, Idaho, raising their children around dirt, animals, bugs, and old-fashioned hard work. For this, they feel so grateful and they wouldn't have it any other way. Today I was asked to share some stories of hope. And um, I don't know if this is a story of hope, but as mentioned in my bio, I am the CTR4 teacher right now, and I had them as sunbeams, and I was pretty sure my only role as a teacher was to make sure everybody's underwear was covered and everybody left with their shoes. So I feel like we've, I moved with them to CTR4. I feel like we've, we've uh, grown a little in a year, but they're, they're fun little kids and um, it's amazing how much they know the gospel. And we can certainly tell every week who has, has heard the Come Follow Me lessons at home and who is a little less familiar with the content. Um, so... I remember one of my greatest memories as a young single adult, um, some of my greatest memories came from the Institute program. And when I was in that time of my life, I attended four different universities to get my bachelor's degree and attending Institute and socializing in the activities that are provided under that umbrella have certainly been a blessing to me. And I am so grateful and all of us should be that the church has prioritized that program. Sometimes I, I, I feel a little out of touch about what a, a YSA um, Institute program, the kind, of, um, the kind of challenges and the kind of struggles that might be held within this building and within the homes and apartments of which those attend live. Um, but as I thought about it and prayed about it, I think that uh, we're all probably dealing with the same things. We just have a different, maybe a different set of experiences and support system to get us through those things. I think the biggest, the biggest thing we all deal with is depression, maybe, and those are thoughts from things in the past, and maybe anxiety, and those are things from we, worries about the future. And having the courage to press forward and through those issues is a universal problem. And as I think about what my struggles are, what my friends' struggles are, what my kids' struggles are, what the people I know that are in the YSA um, age bracket might be, those are two, I think, of the very top. So one of the things I want to talk today about is a puzzle. I want to talk, just kind of give a little bit of an analogy, I guess, about a puzzle. So when um, 
I'm borrowing this concept actually from a 17 year old. I feel like she's closer maybe to your age than I am to your age. And so I, she was a pretty powerful and poignant um, representation, symbolic representation. So I wanted to use it again today. So you think about a puzzle piece, a puzzle, and how do you put together a puzzle? You open the box, it smells, smells fresh and new, and do you dump all the pieces out? Do you just dig from the box? Do you get the corner pieces? Do you get the side pieces? Do you dig in and find all the blue pieces? Or maybe you have a aversion to blue. Maybe you like yellow, and so you just get all the yellow pieces, and that's the part of the puzzle that you work on first. Uh, regardless of how you do it, there are no extra puzzle pieces in the puzzle and every piece is needed. And I think that each of us is known by our Heavenly Father. We each have a purpose and we each have a place. And when one puzzle piece is missing, each of us is missed. Um, I love, one of my favorite parts of the Joseph Smith story is that when Jesus Christ and our Heavenly Father come to Joseph Smith, um, in Joseph Smith, History 117, it's powerful enough, I think we should read it. It says, um, it, it no sooner appeared than I found myself delivered from the enemy which held me bound, when the light rested upon me and I saw two personages whose brightness and glory defy all description standing above me in the air. One of them spake unto me, calling me by name. Our Heavenly Father loves and knows us and Jesus Christ as well, and they know our name. And I love when I was introduced today, I typically am not called by the right name, and there's something super sweet about hearing your own name. Am I right? There's very um, sweet by hearing your own name. I rarely get called the correct name, the correct, correct pronunciation, and I love the introduction today. That was correct, so thank you for that. Um, <laughs> and... I spent some time in, it's kind of a funny story, and I didn't, I spent some time in Mexico, as in my, um, talking about me learning Spanish, I'll talk about that a little bit later, but I spent some time in Mexico when I was 19, and I didn't, I joined the volleyball team, of all things, I should go to Mexico and play volleyball, I guess, I don't know, I thought that was a good idea, but I played in high school, and I thought, what better place than to play here in Mexico, some, a way to get to know people, but I didn't know anybody's names, and I was trying to get to know people, and I thought, oh, I'm funny. I'm going to, and I was, you look at my stature, I was much taller than most of the girls that were on the team. And as I approached the net to hit the ball, um, they all sort of backed up and I called them pollo, which a direct translation is chicken. So in, if we were all playing volleyball here at the Institute and that same thing happened, saying chicken might be appropriate because that's, that has a double meaning in the English language, but they laughed and laughed at me because that does not have the same meaning <laughs> in Spanish. And so, but knowing names, the point is knowing names and um, our Heavenly Father knows our names and so does our Savior Jesus Christ. So when I start putting together a puzzle, I look for the four corners. And for me, there's a representation in my life the four corners or the foundation of my life are my faith, my friends, my family, and maybe my line of work or my field. We're going to use it F in this, in this story, uh, where I spend my time. And then I find the edge pieces, and the edge pieces to me connect the foundation. They're the connection between all of the corner pieces. They're connection between my faith, my family, friends, and field of work. And so we're going to talk about I guess my corners, but since this is stories of hope, it feels sort of selfish to stand here and talk about my life, but that's, I guess, the, 
the assignment. So number one is, for me, is corner is faith. And I think that can be used as a noun or as a verb. And um, in faith, we have to have conversion. And conversion only happens after, well, com complete conversion happens after many trials and a lot of testing. And once we have complete conversion, we can help convert others. For me, conver conversion isn't a box that can be checked. My conversion is consistently developing and um, it's a little bit like doing the laundry for me. The laundry is never done. Even in the minute you're doing it, it's not done. You take off that pair of socks and now you've got more work to do. So conversion is never done. It's an, a very active um, opportunity and that is how we can continue to have faith. So when I was baptized, I was eight years old and I was brought up in the gospel and I had, I felt like, um, I still, ha well, I still had to have my own conversion. But growing up, I had a dad that was a bishop, active family. Um, my brother served missions, graduated from seminary, all the things. And, but when I went to college, my first stop was at Idaho State University in Pocatello. And I was living with roommates who didn't attend. And I was going to a YSA ward that had primary children. And I was called to serve in the primary, so I didn't feel like I was getting a lot of relationships with, with people my own age. I went to church alone, all of those things. And, but I chose to attend institute. And at one point, I was concerned that I hadn't been converted. And so I talked to my institute teacher about it, and he just told me this is a step-by-step -step process, little by little. And so rather than assuming that I hadn't been converted, instead I started watching for those experiences of my, in my life that, that brought conversion and that um, building, faith building blocks that I could look to. In, in Truth of the Faith, it says that conversion is a process, not an event. You become converted as a result of your righteous efforts to follow the Savior, and those efforts include exercising faith in Jesus Christ, repenting of sin, being baptized, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, and enduring to the end in faith, which is essentially our fourth article of faith. Um, and angelic visitations or other spectacular occurrences do not bring lasting conversion. So sometimes we wait for those, but that's not what brings lasting conversion. It's little by little, step by step. Um, those times in my life when I feel like I grow the most, and I'm sure everyone here can, can, can testify to the same, is when I'm out of my comfort zone. I had read in my patriarchal blessing, and without revealing anything too sacred, I felt like there was something in my life that there's something very specific in my blessing that I felt like I needed to accomplish. And as a, as a YSA, I felt like I needed to take steps to do that and, and I needed to get to work. And so that was my process in deciding to do a study abroad through the university which I was attending. So on my 19th birthday, I flew to Mexico. This is a time before cell phones, a time before um, even email was brand new. I did not know any Spanish. I did not have anybody in Mexico that I knew. I just got on a plane and I had arranged to live with a family who were members of the church, but I didn't know what they looked like. I didn't know who they were. I, I knew their names. So I got to the airport and there was somebody there, speaking of knowing your name, there was somebody there with a paper that said Dana. Naturally, I went home with them. It's been a couple days and I was a little confused. I thought, I thought, where is this stake president that I was supposed to be living with? There's only this single lady and I couldn't communicate with her. I, 
I didn't know where I was. I couldn't call home. I, I didn't have a computer to email. So I just went with it. And um, I asked her if we could go to church, and she was able to understand that through my broken Spanish. And we went to church, and, and lo and behold, that's when I was sure that I was with the wrong family, because it was clearly not the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The, the sacrament was distinctly different. Um, there were missionaries at the church. Uh, there were missionaries that walked by the house, and um, they gave me a Book of Mormon and tried to help me figure out where the mix-up was, and encouraged me and testified that if I would read the Book of Mormon in Spanish, I would. There would be no other better, no better way to learn the language. They also gave me a pamphlet on how to pray in Spanish. So I was this, this sister in a place I didn't know, clearly in the wrong home. <laughs> and in the time I, I had before I figured out where I was supposed to be, um, that's exactly what I did. And I can testify that, that that principle that the missionaries shared, challenging me and my faith to read the Book of Mormon in Spanish and to learn to pray in Spanish, I had a significant amount of growth in the language in those few weeks. So I had countless experiences living in Mexico that built my conversion story and my faith, and I was only there for six months. Like I said, I think conversion is a quiet and constant process, and we may not even realize um, how converted we are until we're put in some of those situations where our faith and our conversion is somewhat tested. But our continued efforts to exercise faith and follow the Savior will lead to greater conversion, and I have a testimony of that. Sister Bonnie Corden says that the good feeling that came to me from living the true gospel principle was the spirit of the Holy Ghost, confirming that the principle was true, that it is when true conversion begins to take place, and true conversion only occurs as you continue to act upon the doctrines as you know that you know are true and keep the commandments day after day, month after month. So we gain and find our faith, um, again, both as a noun and as a verb, in the details the details day after day and month after month, week after week. So corner number two, puzzle piece number two for me is family. And as mentioned in my bio, I am a photographer and some of my, my favorite subject to shoot is families. I love the dynamic of a family and I understood as good as anyone what the picture perfect family might look like. I've photographed families for 15 years. So just a few weeks ago, I photographed a family and they showed up to the session, there were three kids, and mom and dad, very good looking family. They showed up in their best, and I had them place their arms around each other and smile and laugh and helped them look comfortable and feel at ease, squeeze tight and smile, laugh and walk together. And they did all of that, and I would say I nailed that assignment. They looked picture perfect. And sometimes we get a little carried away with the picture and not the reality. So the reality of that family is there's a lot that the camera didn't show. Um, one of the daughters is dying of cancer. That's the reason they had the photo session. One of the kids let out a lot of curse words, and I mean a lot. <laughs> um, they, had, they had to have help putting together their outfits because they couldn't afford them, and they were so stricken with grief that they couldn't manage the task. I photographed single moms, young single adults that are that they're the only one in their family that are single. Um, sometimes we get in our head what the perfect family looks like. 
and all we do is compare ourselves to others and how we're not that. But I testify that we were sent to this earth imperfect, and we will return to our Heavenly Father imperfect. It's part of the plan. And our trials and tribulations in this life are the things that, are uh, that allow us to rely on our Savior and become more like Him. Every single individual and family has their own trials, temptations, heartache, sorrow, frustration, and more, which is why we need the first corner piece, which is faith. Comparison is the thief of joy. I think we've heard that several times in conference, but I think it was originally coined by Theodore Roosevelt. Um, and when I'm trying to remember, when I'm finding myself comparing my situation to someone else, I try to remember that comparison is the thief of joy. And my family doesn't look like yours, and yours doesn't look like mine, and it's not supposed to. I take a lot of comfort in the scriptures, from the scriptures when we, in terms of family. There's countless examples. The one I'll highlight is um, the easiest one, the first one, Lehi and Sariah. Their two oldest sons not only fall away from the gospel and choose sin. I mean, here's their dad's a prophet, and they choose sin. But not only that, they wanted to kill their two younger brothers. So I think about my own family, and if my two oldest kids wanted to kill my youngest two over something more than getting out of their space or cleaning up their room, it, I would be heartbroken. So all of our families have trials, and we all have tests. Whether you're seed, single, dating, married, divorced, widowed, or something else that I've left out, our Heavenly Father cares about each of us and our family. Um, the, the next corner is friends, and I'm, this is kind of friends and family, but I'm going to tell this story it's an example of probably, for sure, the first two corners and maybe the third. So, when my husband and I were having children, it was quite a struggle, and I got very, very sick with every pregnancy. And the last baby, each, each pregnancy got progressively worse, and um, all the things. I was in the hospital a lot, very early on and throughout the pregnancy. But at one point, I had to have a port put into my body like a cancer patient might. And I was on full fluid and food, so everything that, nothing went in my mouth for about 10 weeks. All of the nutrition I got was through my IV. So I had to have a cancer port put into my chest. And when I was finally able to go home, through the, go home from the hospital, it was, it was evident that we needed to find someone to come and help me because that's a daily activity of changing those, changing that equipment out and a lot of medication that has to be added to the, to the bag of fluids. And it was, it was obvious that it was too much for my family to manage. And so I needed to find a friend and I prayed who could help me. And I, the Holy Ghost spoke to me and told me that I needed to choose a person named Teresa. Teresa was pretty new to our ward. I barely knew her. Um, but she's, that's the name that came to my mind. So I called her and asked her, and she was willing. And sometimes that's all our Heavenly Father asks of us, is that we're willing to step forward. Um, she became a friend. She, again, the biggest thing is that she showed up. She showed up every day. She ministered to me, and she loved me, and she stayed with me. After weeks of taking care of me, 
as you might imagine, this process has quite a bit of um, sanitary concerns. And after weeks of taking care of me, I learned that she is severely OCD. For her to come into my home and take care of me in that manner took all the courage that she could muster. But she did it, and I never knew about it. I never knew it until, until it was almost, she was almost done taking care of me. Sometimes we don't know what we're capable of, but our Heavenly Father does, and so does our Savior. And He'll help us through all of it. Um, so one of my favorite scriptures that all of us should have memorized, it's the easiest, shortest scripture in our book of scriptures, is in John eleven thirty five, and it says, Jesus wept. The reason it's my favorite is because Lazarus was so sick, and... Martha and Mary called for Christ to come and heal him. And by the time he got to him, he not only had, it had been four days, he not only died, but he was um, already laid in his tomb. And Christ went to Martha and Mary, and he asked if they had faith for him to be healed, and he asked if, they, if he believed in them, and they professed their testimony and proclaimed that they did know that he was the Savior, and that they had faith in him. And... Christ knew at that time what miracle he was about to perform. He knew. But what he did instead was take time to weep and to mourn with those that mourn and comfort those that stand in need of comfort. And we read that in Moroni 18, and I think that's a remarkable quality of Christ that sometimes it's easy to put aside. You might think that Christ is perfect. Why would he cry? We all should have that feeling of mourning with those that mourn. So that kind of covers um, parts of number three, our friends. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, so you have to be really careful where you invest your time and energy. And hopefully you include our Savior Jesus Christ in, we, hopefully we all include our Savior Jesus Christ in that friendship in our life. And um, I remember we were living in Oregon when my husband and I were first married, and we went to church for the first time, and I remember thinking, ugh, where am I going to fit? I'm sure we've all felt that. Just like the little puzzle piece. Where is this little piece going to fit? Where am I going to fit? Feeling kind of insecure and unsure of my place. And sure enough, pretty instantly I became friends with this, this other sister in the ward. At the time she was married. And we would work out together. We'd watch our kids together. I think she taught me how to cook. And she taught me how to be a mother. And she taught me about reading books to my kids, which she did faithfully. And I tried to follow her example. She taught me how to enjoy life and more, and um, she taught me how to yard sell. She taught me how to scrapbook, which is kind of ironic because now I need to have a yard sale for my scrapbooking stuff. So I'm not sure how that worked out, but um, I'm not sure I can thank her for that part, but she is someone who provided a lot of friendship to me without asking for anything back. And her, her life was not free of heartache and trial. Her husband was unfaithful, and eventually she divorced him. She's a single mom. And, but she continued to raise her kids in faith and through determination. Um, and late in her, in her late 40s, just last year, we were able to go. She found someone who's perfect for her, and we were able to go back to Oregon and watch her be sealed to him in the temple. <clears throat> so in the scriptures, we have countless examples of friends um, good friendships. Ruth went beyond what was required of her and reached out to Naomi in comfort. Job, all of his friends, my goodness, can you imagine with all of his heartache, he, they tried to carry his burdens during all of his trials. And 
maybe kind of the opposite of that, we have Moroni in the Book of Mormon who wandered alone for a long time. He had no family and no friends, and he had plenty of enemies that wanted him killed. And sometimes we take those friendships for granted. Friendships can be a true blessings, and it's a two-way street. We need to be, we have to, if we want friends, we have to be friendly. But sometimes we overlook that blessing of, of friendship. Um, I can think of, in the, in the scriptures, Christ talks about, as the Savior himself, laying down his life for his friends. And of all the names that Christ has in the scriptures, I think friend might be one of my favorites. So the last corner piece for me in my puzzle is field of work. And we're just using field because it's another F and now we have four Fs and four corners. So in my field of work, well, I, I have, I feel like a lot of jobs, I have a lot of hats that I wear, but it can be easy in life to get in a groove and to never associate with people outside of our religion, to never have conversations with people outside of our religion. We go to church or we, we go to activities and we talk to people who we're familiar with who also happen to be members of the church and it's easy to not have that missionary mindset. So one of the things um, I've specifically enjoyed about being a real estate agent is that I work with some incredible people for all walks of life. And with almost every single client, I have the opportunity to talk about religion. Somehow it works itself into the conversation. Um, frequently the word of wisdom comes up, keeping the Sabbath day holy, because I don't work on Sundays. Um, missionary work, when they talk about my family, I include that I have a son serving a mission. And of course, just simply believing in Christ. And we can find commonality in that belief in Christ. And lastly, I always encourage my clients to make their decision a matter of prayer before we, before we proceed with a transaction. And uh, quite frequently, they do, and they get back to me. And another place I've been able to share my beliefs, as mentioned in the beginning in my bio, is through the program Distinguished Young Women. That is for all juniors in high school. It just so happens that the program that I am in charge of is in CUNA, so they happen to be CUNA high school students. And we've given away over $150,000 in college scholarships over the last 12 years. So it's a substantial amount of money. And the opportunity for girls to participate is incredible. And what they do is they compete in talent, scholastics, and interview. We teach them skills and we work with them for about eight weeks. And through that process, or the journey that we give them, along the way we share gospel principles, of course disguised as good ideas. Because we can't preach the gospel directly to them as they're not all members of the church. But year after year, I've seen them, girls change, and they become more aware of themselves and more aware of others, and without even knowing it, they develop the light of Christ. So I bring up all of these things, all of these stories, some of them more personal than others, because not because I think I've got it all figured out, um, and not because I don't make mistakes, but because I think I'm living proof that you can, you can decide where you want to, what you want to get out of life and where you want to go in life and, and make it happen. And, and our Savior will be there with us. We can do all things through Christ. Maybe, maybe you want to learn a language in a foreign land, or maybe you want to be more involved in the community, or maybe you want to have an influence over your neighborhood, or maybe, maybe we just each need to start by being better in our ministering assignments. And I'm not, um, I think 
some days the problems in my life feel pretty big, but they're easier to navigate through the relationship I have and the hope I have through Jesus Christ. Um, my life is messy. I have lots of parts in my puzzle. The outside edges, the corners, I've got figured out. But there's lots of pieces, little scenes in my puzzle that are messy. And some of them kind of dark. And some of them I don't really talk about a lot. Nor should I, nor is it appropriate that I do. But I don't, I don't regret having those pictures in my puzzle because they've made, it, made me who I am. Um, I'm far from perfect, and my family's far from perfect, but we keep walking the path and holding on to the rod, knowing that the grace of Jesus Christ will make all the difference. Every section of my puzzle is needed to create the whole picture, and um, sometimes it's the small pieces that are hardest to find and hardest to pull together, but they're the ones that make up the big picture, and making daily commitments to do better or try a little harder to read the scriptures, to wake up and sleep with prayer, to be kind and thankful and grateful. Those are the little things that pull together our puzzle and make a really beautiful scene. And the last thing I thought about as I'm thinking about this analogy of a puzzle piece is who I have invited to the cardboard table to put together my puzzle. Who have I invited to put the pieces together with me? Or maybe, maybe the better question is who have I not invited? Hopefully Jesus Christ and Heavenly Father is, has the first chair at our table as we're putting together our puzzle, but sometimes, sometimes life gets hard and we forget the obvious, and that's okay. There's repentance and aton the atonement for those, oppor those opportunities to change and do better. Um, but I know that they are the corners and the foundation, and they are the ones that create and make the stories in between and help us get through to the end to a full picture. And I want to bear my testimony that I, I know that this church is true, and I know that our Heavenly Father knows our name. He knows each of us. He knows our purpose. And we're here to find out who we are and whose we are. And I testify if we make Him our priority, that will happen. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.